welcome to the Gathering Place Church weekly podcast. We hope today's message ignites, equips, and challenges you to live out your Christian faith and to bring healing to a broken world. I can't think of a better moment of where we just position our hearts on the altar before the Lord. We talked of last week is we saw Elijah's mountain moment. And many times in life, we, we have the highs, but the highs don't come without the lows. And as he comes off of the mountain, we're going to see, and this is the title of today's message, he goes from the mountain back down to the valley. And we serve a God who is in the mountains, but even more, he's in the valley. And if we're going to get a backbone, if we're going to be all who God's called us to be, we just can't worship when we see him do the signs, wonders, and miracles. But what do you do when you don't see a way out? When the door stays locked? When your bills pass due? When you don't know where the breakthrough or the resources or how God will show up? And the thing I love about Elijah is in James chapter 5, it says that he has a nature just as ours. And here's the thing of Elijah. He was no special man but he did make time and room and space to have a special relationship with God. And that's available for all of us today. Is there's not anything special about me, special about you, where you can get some special connection. But when you pour your life out at the altars that you build in your lives, that's where you grow in depth and intimacy and yieldedness and surrender. And what God did in Elijah, he can do in you, he can do in me, and he can do in this church. So today, if your head's low, if you need your head lifted, if you're struggling with hopelessness, if you don't know which way to go, or maybe you catch yourself, maybe you're in a good season today, but you know yourself that when a bad season comes, you spiral or you lose hope or you lose sight. Maybe you get isolated. Maybe you retreat. Maybe you disconnect or unplug. And my heart for you today is just as Elijah, we're going to see the characteristics of God, of how he comes around Elijah as a good father. And we're going to see his humanity. Because here's the reality, and I think you would agree with me. As Elijah is this superhero type figure who calls fire from heaven, he stops uh, the rain at the sound of his voice for three and a half years. And we see all these heroic acts, but it's not so much in the heroic acts that makes him a hero, but it's when you see his humanity, when you see how he deals with his kryptonite that really shows the full spectrum of who this man of God is. So we want to learn from Elijah. If he has a nature just like ours, there's a lot we can learn in how he dealt with his highs. We saw that last week, but this week we're going to see how he deals with the lows. And if you're, in, if you're in this place today and you're depressed, you're struggling, there's cycles that you need to break, the thing I've come to find is it's easy to give up the stuff that hurts you, the drugs, the alcohol, the extreme addictions. That's kind of where we think that that's what needs to break. But you get into the depth of a walk with God. He then not only touches those things, but he touches your routine, your comforts, your rhythms, Maybe um, how you're living, your lifestyle choices, they can be apparently good things, but when he calls for you to give them up or to let them go, 
there's a whole nother type of pain that comes when you have to let go and release and have full faith in him. So nobody is exempt. You can be way in the valley or you can be on the mountain and God is saying, it's time to go back to the brook of Cherith like Elijah did, where he experienced humility. And the cycle of life is this, Elijah was humbled, he was heroic, his humanity came, and then he had to be humbled again. So this is really cyclical of how God deals and works with us as his people. So today, I don't know where you're at. Maybe you're being humbled right now. Maybe you're in a heroic season. Maybe you're in a season of you're just eking it out in your humanity. He's a God of all three places and you can find him wherever he's at. So you ready to dive into this today? If you lift your hands as an act of surrender, we're just gonna ask for the presence of the Holy Spirit to have his way. Jesus, we thank you that your spirit is here, that the God of Elijah is the God of Garrett, is the God of, of us. And God, the same God we see through the pages of scripture is a living, active, loving, heavenly father, a Messiah, a savior. Father, you wanna get involved in all the details of our life. Father, I pray today that the spirit of anxiety, of depression, it has to leave has to leave our family, has to leave those we love, that we will not be a, a people that keeps our heads in the clouds, but we will be a people that will not stutter, that will not be debating as we saw last week between two opinions. Today, we're confident in who our God is, even in the valleys of our life. So Jesus, we surrender to what you wanna do today. Have your way, take my words, breathe on them, Holy Spirit, and let them connect to the hearts of your people. In the powerful, mighty, magnificent name of Jesus, we pray. Everybody said, amen. 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 Well, you may be seated. Thankful you're here and pray that those of you who feel God touching you, it just doesn't have to end when the awesome music goes down, but it can continue as we get into the word today. Looks like everyone's a little more comfortable today. We spread some seating out and made sure everybody had a good seat and uh, making a few changes uh, as well, and uh, so thankful. I see several new faces here, and maybe you're checking uh, the church out and just getting your feelers out. Uh, you're in a good place. You're in a place that's alive, a church that's moving forward, and um, uh, from week to week, God's just, he's speaking, he's burrowing his spirit deep down within us, and today I know you're gonna walk away with a little extra life, a little extra pep in your step, uh, and uh, I want to jump right into that and, and really pick up where we left off. And I left out an important detail last week when Elijah sees the cloud as small as a man's hand in 1 Kings 18. Again, in 1 Kings 17, we see his humility. 1 Kings 18 is his heroism. And then in 1 Kings 19, where we'll be today, is his humanity. So you see these in the life of Elijah. But in his as he's coming off the mountain, you see really this miraculous miracle. And uh, Dylan, if you put this up, I think it's 1 Kings 18, starting at 44 or 46. Um, 44 says this. It says, as he saw this cloud as small as a man's hand and that it was rising from the sea, Elijah said, go tell Ahab, hitch up your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. So this great rain, this great storm is coming. Again, it hasn't rained three years on the land so they see the, the, the clouds, they see the lightning, the thunder coming in and they had to get down the mountain because imagine a monsoon and a chariot 
in having to deal with the muck and the mess to get to the bottom of that mountain. And so in verse 45, it says, these clouds grew black and the wind rose, the heavy rain started falling and Ahab rode off to Jezreel. So he had his chariot and his horses, King Ahab did. And then it says in verse 46, but the power of the Lord came on Elijah. And look what happens when the power of the Lord comes on Elijah. I mean, he's, he's in a... In a uh, in a place of his own here. You just don't see this stuff all the time. But it says that he tucked up his cloak into his belt and he ran ahead of Ahab all the way to Jezreel. Jezreel would be some 18 miles away from where he was. So a miraculous miracle that Elijah lifted his cloak and on foot outran Elijah on a horse in a chariot. I mean, just picture this for a moment. If If you're Ahab... And you look out your chariot and you see Elijah with his cloak up running at hyperspeed to get down the mountain. This is only stuff that the Bible can give you. And so you see this great miracle here. And this is always what we have to remind ourselves is what God can do in a moment when the power of God comes upon you will dumbfound and astound even the wisest, even the the methods, the systems that make the most sense. And when we get in God's presence, we open up our lives and our heart for him to do miracles like what he did in the life of Elijah. But what we see is he has this spiritual high moment. He's about to hit a spiritual low. And it's going to come through the voice of a woman that we've discussed. If you've been in this church, you know the spirit that motivates her. It comes through Jezebel. And so this great mountaintop experience, fire called down from heaven. Elijah even went and slaughtered all the false prophets after the fire came. And then he runs down, and then we see uh, this great man of God, this great uh, man who called fire from heaven can't handle uh, a, a threat that now comes against his life. And we just see, again, his humanity. And this should give us hope. And we're gonna see how God deals softly, lovingly, and sweetly, even with Elijah in his, in his moment of distress. So in 1 Kings 19, we see this. It says, and Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done. In, in our men's Bible study, we're gonna be getting into this week 29 signs of a Jezebel spirit so you can be on alert and know what to look for that. And there's also gonna be signs of an Ahab spirit we'll get into. But one sign we see here is that Jezebel will always demand all the knowledge, wants to be told immediately what's happened. Again, King Ahab is the ruler, but Jezebel is the puppeteer calling all the shots. Jezebel wears the pants in this relationship, and Ahab lets her do it. And so there's so much to learn between the wickedness of both, the follies of both, and Elijah, you have to be a spirit of Elijah to pierce through and make real difference, bring real change. But even Elijah, who just ran down at a miraculous moment, at the threat of Jezebel, starts to quiver a little bit. This is how powerful this spirit can be. And so it says that immediately, Ahab just saw this miracle, and I would even, if I were to speculate, I would say Ahab would begin to believe. He just saw fire fall from heaven. He just saw Elijah outrun him. Surely he would know that God is with him, And maybe he should stop listening to Jezebel and start listening to Elijah. But Jezebel sucks him right back in, gets all the information out of him. What had happened? What did you do? And think about Jezebel too. She could see the clouds coming off in the distance. So as Elijah was on the way home, 
I'm sure Jezebel thought, oh, good. Ahab got the best of Elijah. It's starting to rain again. We won. But he comes back with some different news. And look what it said. It says, no, I didn't win. But Elijah had executed all of our prophets with a sword. So this is a huge blow to Jezebel and to her agenda, to her plan. And so in verse 2, it says, Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, Elijah saying, So let the gods do it for me, and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow, about this time. And when he saw that, he arose, look what happened. He ran for his life, and he went to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah. And he left his servant there. So at the threat of being executed the same way that he executed all the false prophets, Jezebel gives this, says this, and it gets under his skin, it, it, it rattles him, and it says not only does he run, but he runs for his life. And when you just put yourself in the middle of the story, you just gotta ask yourself, how can Elijah run for his life when he just saw God do all of these amazing acts. And I think that's for many of us. And what we're gonna see is we've gotta be careful when we have spiritual high experiences, you come back from a retreat, you come back from a mission trip, God touches you powerfully, you get filled with the spirit, maybe it's when you get saved, that if you don't insulate and disciple yourself, there can be a negative effect of when you see God move and bless and do and reverse things and redeem things, it's almost as though you make yourself susceptible to then hit a spiritual low. And this is what we see happen. And so Elijah runs for his life. This is not like him. This is not the Elijah we see. In verse four, here's where we see, begin to see, and as we do a case study on him, as we kind of unpack, how did he get here? How did he begin to get depressed? Is number one, and this is what happens when you and I get into a place we always isolate. He's not by himself. He isolates. It's different. Elijah was by himself in 1 Kings 17 for three years when God took him away to the brook to take care of him, to teach him, to humble him, to feed him. He was by himself there, and God did amazing things. But this was a different type of isolation. He was running from God, running from the mission, was worn out, and so he's by himself. And in verse 3, we saw that he leaves his servant behind. So he leaves the, the guy that was carrying his stuff, the guy that would accommodate him, give him some direction. And so he leaves his accountability behind and he, and he just, he runs. And he says in verse four, but he himself went on a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And look how his prayer life even shifts here. Elijah knows how powerful his prayers are. Again, they touch the heart of God that's how close he was with him. So even he uses that close place and look at how he prays here. It says that he prays that his life might end. He wanted to die. He'd rather die than face Jezebel. This is what he's saying. And he said, it's enough. Lord, take my life for I am no better than my father's. No better than my father's. We see here too, Elijah even gets into a spirit of self-pity. Because once you isolate yourself, then you become your own worst enemy. Then you begin to whine. You start to waller in your self-pity. And you try to get somebody to feel good about your situation instead of dealing with it. You ever been here before? You isolate. 
and then you start having a little pity party. This is Elijah. So if he does it, you got some hope. So he says, take my life. I'm no better than my father's. And he just starts to have a little pity party. And when you think about this, why does God begin to show us? You see this all throughout the heroes of the Bible, is that he just doesn't paint their highlight reels, all the good stuff they do, but you see the good, the bad, the ugly, from Moses to David, the list goes on and on. And this should give us hope because he doesn't paint a fake picture about our nature. And the way you deal with your humanity isn't throwing it in the closet, isn't just pushing it under the rug and then having a church face on. It's bringing it to the altar and say, God, heal it, redeem it, cut it down, do whatever you have to do, crucify the cravings, disassociate the attachments so that I can then live fully and wholly for the kingdom and glory of God. This is why repentance is a lifestyle. It's not a one-time decision because we have to allow the spirit of God to cut down the flesh so that the spirit can be led and the flesh follows. So we need to know the truth. We need to see the portrait because it helps us see the need to glory in God rather than people. I can tell you the people would be glorying in Elijah based off seeing fire called down on the altar. Elijah can do no wrong. Elijah is our leader. Elijah is our hero. But at the end of the day, he's a human just like everybody else, and his life should point to glory in God. This is where we got to be careful. As a church, we don't glory in any man. We don't glory in any kind of um, a leader, but we glory solely in him. And our leaders should always point us to him and get us to the feet of Jesus because it's at the feet where the miraculous happens. So Elijah was alone. If you're taking notes, you can write that down. Don't get isolated. Don't get alone. Number two, he was coming off a great victory. Number three, he was feeling sorry for himself. And we're gonna see at number four, he was tired and hungry. For some of you, if you're under spiritual attack today, one of the most spiritual things you can do when you leave here is go take a nap and get something to eat, okay? You're going to see that in Elijah's life. It could be one of the most spiritual, Holy Spirit-filled things you can do is get some rest and get something to eat. And I'm not talking McDonald's. I'm talking go get some good home cooking, and we'll connect you with some ladies in this church who can cook and get you a meal and you'll get saved all over again, okay? (laughs) You know, as he was feeling sorry for himself, you'll see this, and it's similar to how God, or how Jesus dealt with the woman caught in the act of adultery. Jesus, by the law, could have had her stoned, but he gets in the way of the accusers. He says two things to the woman. Woman, where are your accusers? And he says to go and sin no more. Jesus did not deal harshly with her, And if you want to study all the scriptures, you will never find one instance where Jesus ever put shame or dealt harshly with anybody. And so when you get caught up in self-pity or when you get caught up of feeling spirit of shame or just being hard on yourself, it is never the Holy Spirit, isn't it? Demonic evil spirit to keep you away, to keep you cut out. That's not the way of Jesus. In verse 5, we, he sits under the broom tree, and look what happens. So he's sitting in a self-pity, and an and suddenly happened. It says, an angel touched him and said to him, arise and eat. I'm telling you, some of you, this is the best news you're going to hear all day. 
It's a bye week, so I can preach a little longer. You can arise and eat a little longer today. <laughs> Verse 6, it says, Then he looked, and there by his head was a cake baked on some coals and a jar of water. Look how detailed this is. Some of you need to pray for this ministering angel just to come and bless you with a cake and a jar of water. So look what he did. He ate and he drank, and he went to lay down again. He took another nap. The angel came back in verse 7. The Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for you. God even sees his humanity here. He says, You're not ready to go back yet. Need a little more rest. Need a little more food. Need a little more sustenance. Need to nurture you a little bit here. It says, So he arose, ate and drank, and he went in the strength of the food, 40 days and 40 nights, as far as Horeb, the mountain of God. So we see the angel touch him here. And you would think a man like Elijah, who's used to dealing with God and the earthquake and the, and the fire falling and all these big life-shattering moments, we now see a man who needs to eat, sleep, repeat, eat, sleep, repeat, eat, sleep, repeat. And it's the most spiritual thing that he can do to save his soul of where he's at and handle the spiritual attack he's under. So we see this here. And what we even see about God is God doesn't come in and address the dysfunction or address the mess or try to clean Elijah up. He just comes in and says, let me just get you a meal. And for some of you, you think, again, as Kelsey said, when you come to this altar, that it's gonna be God bringing lightning on your sin when he's saying, no, no, no. Let's get you some food. Let's get some grace around you. Let's get some people who love you around you. Let's get some mercy around you. And we'll deal with the stuff. But he's not going to deal with you harshly when you come to him vulnerable, when you're open, when you're honest. That's the place he desires for all of us to be. But there can be bad theology around this of where you fear a God, you fear a father who's more quickly to strike you than he is to heal and bless you. And so you got to know this about your God, of, of how he deals with Elijah again and again. We see this throughout Scripture. He's now going to enter Elijah into a, rest, a restorative process, get him back on mission, get vision back in his life. We preached on this during the uh, ascension of the restoration of Peter. Peter, do you love me? Feed my lambs. Does it three times. Here we see arise and eat three times. Anytime you see something happening in a trinity, it's always a picture. There's a restorative work to get you back in vision, to get you back on mission. And just as he restored Peter, he wasn't angry and trying to cut Peter down. He was using his grief, his sorrow, his pain to teach him a lesson that would turn into great strength in his life. So he eats and he sleeps and he gets nourished. And in verse nine, he gets up and or in, think about this in verse 8 before we get to verse 9. Look how the food that God gave him could sustain him for 40 days and 40 nights. We go to all the wrong things to try to get what we think will fix us. But when you go to him, what little he can give you can sustain you far longer than what you think you can get on your own. Three days with him can, can sustain you. Can, that, that word, that food, that life, that breath can, can sustain you much longer than something you think can just numb you, can fix you temporarily, put a Band-Aid on the issue. So in verse 9, it says he gets up, 
and then he went into a cave. He spent the night in that place, and behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? So here's where the confrontation happens. And this is what we see even in Jesus, a Jesus-style question. It's always an open-ended question that provokes a response. So he gets Elijah talking by simply just asking him, what are you doing here? So he begins to talk. He got him fed. He got him settled. And now he's ready to engage in on what the deeper issue is here. What are you doing here? We see this even with Adam and Eve in the garden. Adam and Eve sin. They break fellowship. They close themselves. They go and hide. God comes to an appointed time of fellowship he would have with Adam, not as an angry, mean, vengeful God, ready to strike, move heaven and earth because Adam sinned. But he says as a loving father, Adam, where are you? Again, this is the same tone and the same nature of what we see of how God is dealing with Elijah here. What are you doing here, Elijah? Verse 10, Elijah responds. He says, I have been very zealous for the Lord, God of hosts. For the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. So Elijah is still in pity here, still pitiful. All these people want to kill me. They, they seek to take my life. I've done all this for you. Why do I still feel this way? And I think some of us go to God. I've been in church every week. I've read my Bible every day. Why am I still in the mess that I'm in? And then we start to shift it off of us and say, maybe it's not something wrong with me. Maybe it's something wrong with him. See, I've even come to find this about my kids as Daniel's in kindergarten, getting a little bit older. Miss Judy and Miss Moronis are teaching them Great, whipping him up into shape. Miss Judy calls him Daniel's son. He's ready to go every day. <laughs> what you'll see about kids, a sign of maturity, is when you tell them no, if they can understand the word no isn't no, it will never happen, but when they can begin to discern that it's a not yet in the sound of your voice when the no happens. You'll even see this at the beginning. You go all the way back to the end of 1 Kings 18 is they had to do it seven times. Go down and look and see if you see the clouds coming. Go up and look and see if you see the clouds coming. And Elijah wasn't, there wasn't some magic number that he would answer at seven. It's just God will answer when he wants to answer and we'll stay faithful till he answers. So sometimes when God gives you an answer, it's either yes, no, or not yet. You'll always get an answer. Might not be what you like, but the mature believer can discern. It's not that it, it's a hard no, it's just it's a not yet. And some of you are in between that place of a no and a not yet. You with me today? All right. So he's still in his pity. Take my life. And here's the principle we see here. It, he began to look away from his God and onto his circumstance. Anytime you get isolated, you start losing hope, you get depressed, anxiety starts to riddle you. In that moment, there was some transition, there was some decision we made consciously or subconsciously, I took my eyes off my God and onto my circumstance. This is the fight and the spirit you've got to be is keep your eye on your God, that your God is bigger than any circumstance you have. He can defeat a giant with David and a stone versus trying to put on all the armor, right? Saul said, you know, go get the armor on, armor up the way you, everybody else does. But with God, it doesn't always look the same. What fit for somebody else doesn't fit for you. So he took his eyes off his God and put it on a circumstance. Verse 11, he said, God res responds, 
He says, okay, here's what we're going to do. You're going to go out because he's still in pity. He's not fully there yet. But this is what I think shakes Elijah and he gets the message. He says, you're going to go out. You're going to stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by and a great and strong wind tore into the mountains and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind and the wind was an earthquake. Hear this again. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, here's where you need to underline circle and say, amen. Amen. The Lord was in a small voice, a still small voice. There's so much that we could preach right here. We look for God in the earthquakes and the big moments. I think Elijah did too. And he forgot that you really find him in the quiet place, at the feet of Jesus, in the still small voice. And if you really want to grow in understanding how God moves, how he speaks, how he pokes and prods and gets your attention, it's never in the big things because it's easier just to put it on the big things because we can exit ourselves out of the equation and say, God can just handle it out there and I'll just kind of lag along and really not require any faith. But what he, God tells Elijah here, you're used to looking at me in all of these big moments but I'm here in a small moment in your life teaching you if you can develop the skill and the quality and the heart and the discipline to know the still small voice of God, you will never miss me. And some of us, we keep missing him because we don't know the still small voice. So this is what God is teaching Elijah and he's restoring him back to this place of you gotta go after the voice, the still small voice. I love this commentary as well on this passage of scripture. This is a patristic commentary in early church, first century. Says this. Back a page. It says, the Holy Spirit a great and powerful wind manifests his grace in a variety of ways in prayer. In some, he will rend the mountains of sinful passions. In others, he will shatter the rocks of hardened hearts. In others, he is like an earthquake, which is an inward sense of jubilation and exultation. Yet again, in others, he is a non-material fire. Finally, in others, he is a gentle breeze, which occurs when Christ comes to dwell in the heart. You see, God can still move in all those ways, but what Elijah needed in this moment was the gentle breeze. Some of you need God to break your hard heart. Others of you need the sinful passions to be rendered. So God can move in however, he he does move through all those things, but the consistent way of, of of the believer, the Christian who sits at the feet of Jesus, you're gonna catch the whisper of God and you're not gonna miss him. You're going to get your instructions every day before you go out and battle and war and take hold of all that God has for you. So Elijah catches this. God teaches him, you got to go to the still small voice. And then he begins to put him on mission. Verse 13, so he catches the voice. And so it was when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in his mantle, went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. And suddenly a voice came to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? And he began to say he's very, he's very zealous for the Lord God of hosts because the children of Israel have forsaken. So he goes back and forth. You're going to see this. He, he repeats himself again. 
So he's still whining and kind of bringing it all out. God's flushing all of this out of him. Some of you, you got to spend enough time in the presence of God to get completely flushed out. Maybe you need to get plunged out a little bit. If I can be a little graphic there. I got two kids still in diapers, so it's, it's my world. 15, it says, Then the Lord said to him, Go return your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, anoint Hazel, king over Syria. And you shall anoint Jehu, son of Nishmai, and king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel, Meloah, and shall anoint as prophet in your place. If, you sh- if it shall be that whoever escapes the sword of Hazel, Jehu will kill. And whoever escapes the, the sword of Jehu, Elisha will kill. And yet I have reserved 7,000 in Israel. Hear this. All whose knees have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. So God's got Elijah's attention. Now he's putting vision and getting him back on commission once again. So he was afraid of Jezebel. He ran. God begins to heal the, the deepest part of, of some insecurity and dysfunction in his life. And once he gets the still small voice, he's back in tune with God. God then says, okay, my greatest resource I'm going to begin to put in your life is people. You're going to go anoint such and such. I'm going to give you Elisha to take your mantle. I mean, this is great news for Elijah that God is is reinforcing him. And God even cares enough to say, oh, you think nobody is with you? Well, I've had 7,000 people that you know nothing about, a remnant who have not bowed the knee to Baal. And I believe this is a word for our church right here. As our church has been held in a place that we be reserved for a people who do not want to bow their knee to Baal. And when you don't bow your knee to Baal, you better get ready to be on your own. But when you think you're on your own, he's got a remnant that he's gathering together. If you think of the name, Gathering Place Church. And this is what we've always believed here for 40 years. That God at the appointed time would gather a remnant together who would stand for truth who would be willing to say what needs to be said and not bow the knee to the ideologies, to the politics of our day, because it might get you a little influence. It might get you a platform. It might make some money to build some building. I would rather stay small and cut down than ever bow the knee to Baal. But see, the test with God is, if you're willing to stay small and do the hard work, he will bring the remnant of the 7,000 around you that you didn't even know was off in the distance. So this is what God is doing here. And he's saying, because I've tested you, because you were willing to get into and be humbled at the brook of Sherith, because you were willing to go on Mount Carmel and call fire down on the false prophets of Baal, and now because I've been able to teach you how to crucify those passions, how to get to the gentle, still voice, to know my voice in your humanity, you're ready. And you'll see when Elisha comes on the scene, you'll see as we get into this where Jezebel is defeated and Jezebel's children. And in Revelation, it says, the way that Jezebel has authority in your life is when you tolerate her. Jesus says, you tolerated that woman Jezebel. Tolerance is the highest virtue in America of 2023. We tolerate everybody. No one step on anybody's toes. Church, tolerate the LGBTQ stuff. 
church tolerate both political parties, tolerate both economy, tolerate both lines, and let's just get along and be peaceful together. And it leads you to this place, and it, and it puts a lie in your ear that we can all coexist with sin. And again, the, what we see here is Elijah's axe is not to grind with Ahab. It's to get the hearts of the people to turn away from their sin and turn back to the one true God. And this is what we got to know about our God. And when you're an Elijah, and when you're in a part of a church that is an Elijah, you will be judged, you will be critiqued, every name of the book will come out of you. you that, I don't see Jesus in you. That's not loving. No, the most loving thing I can do f- to you is get you the truth But understand, is Elijah did have a ministry of mocking. We saw that last week. He mocked the prophets of Baal. But he did not mock the person in their weakness. He mocked their God. And we will always mock the false ideologies, but we will love the person. We'll mock the spirit of the age that has caused torment and wreaked havoc in somebody's life, but we will welcome them in and get them to the the place of grace and mercy. This is what you've got to understand. And many of us, we, that's where the, line, the ball gets dropped. And you can become a Pharisee. You can, be, you can be judgmental. And you completely ruin the ministry moment with somebody. Because there's coming a day when the church will be relevant once again. Because they will try all the stuff that culture said will fulfill them, will make them whole, will give them peace and purpose. And when all that comes crashing down, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Jesus, who has stood the time and time again, will be ready and available to touch, heal, and deliver those people. And we're gonna be a church that's gonna be ready for that. But if you don't take a stand like Elijah did, that moment will never happen. You with me? So there were 7,000 that were reserved who did not bow, who did not kiss the ring, who did not take the creed. You know, and I want to encourage those of you. There was another commentary I saw who spoke to this. As many times when you don't see like Elijah did, he, he didn't, wasn't aware, he couldn't see that there were those who believed just like him, who took a stand just like him. And the commentary said, it's like you're a lighthouse keeper. Your job is you're up in that tower by yourself and you are shining a light to rescue and to, to save and create a, a pathway for all the ships coming into your harbor that hundreds if not thousands can see that light off into the distance. But all you know is you're just shining a light. You don't know how far that that light's going. You don't know who's seeing that. And what you've got to be okay with is if you stand alone, you and your family, you and your church, stand alone and others don't come with you. And when God knows you are tested in that place, because before God ever entrusts you, he deeply breaks you and tests you and cuts you down. And if you're not willing to get cut down like Elijah did in 1 Kings 17, go tell what needs to be said. Now get away and I'm gonna cut you down. I'm gonna humble you and I'm gonna make you dependent on me, not independent as I'm this big man of God or I'm this big figure or this big personality or I'm self-made, I got it all together. God always works through the humble. He never works through the prideful. And it's not a false humility but it's a real humility where you know God has touched you deeply. See, the enemy knows your potential. 
And he's after your potential. He's after the future potential of this church. He's after the potential of, I think, of our mothers and our fathers. Moms, he's after your potential because if he gets you, he gets your kids. Dads, he's after your potential because if he gets you, he gets your kids and he gets your grandkids. So it's somewhere we've got to reinforce, we've got to draw the line and love and say we will move forward with Christ whether no one comes with us. We will love along the way. It might not, truth sounds like hate to those who hate truth. That's their own opinion. But we're gonna stay close to the scriptures, close to the heart of God and trust God with the results. So we're not, a couple lies here and we'll close with this. The lie is, you may think you have to be perfect for God to use you. That's never the case. You know this. It's not about perfection, but what I will say, it is about maturity. The rich young ruler, when he walked away sad, the understanding of that perfection there, the word is used, it is not, I'm a cookie cutter and I've got it all together. It is a place of maturity. If you want God to use you, he will use you where you're at, but as you grow in him, it's based off your level of maturity. Because if God puts more into your life, then that means more people can be blessed or more people can be hurt with how you steward that gift, with how you steward that fruit. So you've got to focus in on the maturity. The lie, lie number two is it's easier to avoid the problem than face them. I'm telling you, this is the best place to face your problems, to face your trials. Get around other men, get around other women, other families that can get in the arena and fight with you. We're not going to feel sorry for ourselves. We're not going to let ourselves get tired and hungry. And we're going to keep our eyes on God and not on the circumstance. I'm going to leave you with this. And Corey, if you help me close. I love this. Is we want to focus. If you focus on the world, you're going to be distressed. If you focus on yourself, you're going to be depressed. But if you focus on God, you're going to be at rest. You believe that today? We'll say it again. If you focus on the world, you're going to be distressed. If you focus on yourself, you're going to be depressed. But if you focus on him, if you focus on God, you are going to have a heavenly rest where where you serve, where you love, where you give, where you do, where you be, it comes from a place of rest, not you having God having to get you in your humanity, though he will. We're never called to live in the place of uh, eat, sleep, repeat. That was like a lifeline for Elijah. But notice, he didn't stay there because when the presence of God touches you, he then launches you back into what you're supposed to be doing. The God of the mountain and the God of the valley is, let's just nurture you and love you and coddle you in the valley. No, he's a good father where now it's time to get back to what you're called to do. Get that pity off of you. And some of you, you're still caught in the waller of pity from something that happened to you years ago. And you're stuck in that. And if you can allow the presence of God to touch you today and you can release the pity, you can get your eyes back on him and not the circumstance, even if it was something that happened to you that was out of your control. You've got to let it go. You've got to forgive and allow God to deal with it and get fresh vision, his vision for your life, for your family. Get back to the still small voice and understand that Elisha is coming now. You see, the enemy was after the potential of Elisha. And he knew he had to get to Elijah because if he could cut Elijah off, then Elisha would never be who God called him to be.
want to read this to you. And I just invite you to close your eyes. You're not allowed to eat, sleep, repeat yet. That's coming here in a little bit. But I want this just to bless you and minister to you as you get to the place of the still small voice because your assignment this week is where am I cultivating the still small voice of the Lord? Where am I allowing the gentle breeze to touch my life and my family? That God does not move in the big things, but he moves just as much in the big things, the everyday things of your life. He moves, he's gonna move today when you sit out on your back porch and you see a couple of those fall leaves begin to work their way down off the tree. And he can speak to you. I want you to hear this. Don't be anxious over your food, over your clothing. Jesus taught upon that hillside that God cares about these things for you. He cares about the birds of the air and the lilies of the field. How much more will your God care about your needs? Even those that seem small and insignificant in the grand scheme. 2,000 years later, we may find ourselves wondering whether God still cares for the flowers, the birds. This article that I'm reading was written in the time of the pandemic. It says, as we confront a public health crisis unlike anything we've seen in a century, and we receive news of extraordinary need all over the world, we may wonder about the little things in our lives. Will my parents grow ill? Will my friend find that job? Will my kids fall behind? in school. But know this, we worship a God whose eye is on the sparrow. Some of you need to be reminded of that. His eye is on the sparrow. We worship a God who chose to enter human history in the form of an infant. It's beautiful. A God who cared for the blind and the bleeding woman and the paralytic who had compassion for the anxieties of his disciples, who even from the cross asked Mary and John to take care of one another. He is a God of the small things too, or rather he is a God for whom nothing is small when it matters to his children. You are no small thing to him. Help us, O oh Lord, to exercise that particular expression of faith of believing you and that you care about even the most minute matters, minute matters in our lives. They matter to you when they matter to us. Jesus, help us to have faith today that the small things can become great things in time. Even the mo most monumental works are modest at first. May we find those small beginnings now where we can build stone upon stone until we have constructed something that will endure to your glory for generation after generation. Amen. As you prepare the elements of Holy Communion today, you can stay seated and contemplative and reflective. You know, this body and blood of Christ may seem like a small thing today but it represents the very power of Jesus who conquered death for you. If you follow him, your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. You have eternity because of what we're about to do. You have grace for what you're about to do. You have power and fruit available to you. You have authority over hell, demons, Satan. 
This is no small idle moment as we as the body of Christ partake of his body. You see, we're to take on his flesh today because we're called to be made in his image and his likeness. And today I pray you lean in just a little bit and that you're gonna see this week as you get to the still small voice that God's gonna speak to you. And understand this, when the Holy Spirit touches you, he doesn't touch you just to get you to feel something. He touches you to put something deep in you, to put a truth in you, to put who he is in your life in you. He says, do this in remembrance of him because we are forgetful. Again, Elijah just saw heaven and, and earth, heaven, all of everything come together. Fire fall from heaven. He ran with a superpower down the hill. But look how quickly he forgot. Look how quickly the distress of Jezebel got to him. So you gotta know, you can be feeling good now, but something can happen when you walk out those doors and change your day. Again, this is where we can't have our eyes on the circumstance, but you gotta fixate them on God. And I feel this in my spirit today. There's some, someone here, maybe several of you that need to take hold of this because of what's on the other side of those doors. And if you can get it right today, it can prepare you, it can center you, it can settle you, where you're gonna look back to this message and say, yep, that was for me, God's got this. Thanks for tuning in to this week's podcast. We pray it encouraged, uplifted, and challenged you to become more like Christ. We would love to hear from you. You can email your prayer request to prayer at gpcky.com. Loving our podcast? Take a moment and like and subscribe on our YouTube channel to stay up to date with all of our new content. Thanks for listening.